Should we have a show? Because we've been talking for like 35 minutes. This is the show. I hope it's not the show. Accident- we're, we're accidentally <laughs> podcasting an, about technology. An, yeah, it's an accidental tech podcast. Stop that, yeah. Canada, as you, Alan, know, has two national languages, French and English. We do. And therefore, two national anthems. Right. One for each language. But did you know... Fun fact, the lyrics of the two are completely different. Yeah, so it turns out when you translate something... Nope. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, (laughs) that's true, but no. So, the the National Anthem of Canada, which is called O Canada, but was originally written in French. Did you know that? Mm, I did not know that. Yeah, so the original version of the song was composed for a Quebec holiday... I think it's the St. John the Baptist holiday, in 1880. And it has never been rewritten. The lyrics are the same as they were in 1880. Even with the... Uh, so in English, it's been changed Well, yeah, a little so bit. The, yeah. the first English translation was in 1906, so like 20, 30 years later. But the most common version was written in 1908, which stayed exactly the same until 2018, when it was amended to make it slightly more gender neutral. Yes. All your son's command was a... to all of, to all of us command or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you imagine them Congress or whatever, trying to change oh, yeah. the U S national anthem to be more Ever? gender neutral? People yeah. would flip their lid. I just, it, that only just now occurred to me. It'd be a war on everyone. Cause it everyone be, I know, yeah. I mean, of course I know lots of like uh, woke millennials and stuff, but we were all like, Oh yeah, yeah, that seems, of course you should change it. To, to not no, it could never happen. It definitely could not happen here. No, uh, uh, for sure, no. So I'm looking at the French lyrics of. The... I know, so we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. But O Canada, do you know when it became the national anthem of Canada? Uh, I would assume it would be 1949. No, so it's been the de facto national anthem since 1939. Okay, but it actually didn't become the actual national anthem of Canada until 1980. Ah, there's a bunch of... When the Queen made it official. Well, thanks. That was nice of her. Yeah. It's good to appreciate the Queen. Yeah. I, uh, I, Canada's um, progress towards being like an independent, coherent country yeah. in terms of like flags and having a constitution and being separate from England often yeah. has dates that are way later than you would expect. Where it's like, no. oh, in 1982, <laughs> we became independent <laughs> from England by this. I was like, uh, in 1982? <laughs> it's like, well, there's just a couple last technicalities of the Queen. Yeah. yeah so, so. so I would assume that all of our Canadian listeners, of which I know we have many, Hi Canada, know the words to the song. But just, just so that they, just to refresh everyone's memory, the English version, when we mostly are going to deal with, we'll look into the remaining lyrics, but like just starting with the first, the first verse of the song the lyrics go oh canada our home and native land true patriot love in all of us command with glowing hearts we see thee rise the true north strong and free from far and wide oh canada we stand on guard for thee god keep our land glorious and free oh canada we stand on guard for thee yeah which is a you know pretty pretty to me reasonable pretty pretty, pretty reasonable you got the god keep our land thing that yeah that's a little whatever you know but, but like it's a hundred cool. year old song it's, yeah. you know holds up pretty well i think yeah so the french version of the song if we translate it directly into english is oh canada land of our ancestors glorious deeds circle your brow for your arm knows how to wield the sword your arm knows how to carry the cross 
Your history is an epic of brilliant deeds, and your valor, steeped in faith, will protect our homes and our rights. Yeah, it's pretty different. That's pretty different. <laughs> As a kid, I have sang this before. The French version in French. In French version in French. And then for a very, very long time, it's been out of sight, out of mind, except this one part that you translated. I mean, this is the parliamentary translation I'm looking at. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, this phrase, uh, like, plus brillant exploit, like, the most brilliant exploits. French people are puking right now, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I know. I Luckily, we have no French-only <laughs> yeah. speakers. Otherwise, we would not have listened sorry. to 20-something episodes sorry. of our English. But uh, the, this, like, uh, the most b- brilliant exploits as the is, like, the English kind of, like, um, literal, super literal translation. Sure. Is a, was, like, the Olympic, one of the Olympic slogans for Canadian um, oh, for the, the 76 Olympics. Montreal Olympics? For the, 20, for the 2010 Vancouver oh, one. Oh, whoa. Okay. Um, so I'm like super familiar with that phrase in French. Um, but then I kind of realize that that's not in the English version of the song. No, no. And by the way, if we go further into the French version of the song, it, it gets even more like you might think it might get. Because, mm, yeah, so in the context that this is like originally a Quebecois thing and not a Canada wide right. thing. Right. The very final verse is probably my the, the one that is maybe the most intense. And mm-hmm. it is uh, sacred love of the throne and the altar. Fill our hearts with your immortal breath. Among the foreign races, our guide is the law. Let us know how to be a people of brothers under the yoke of faith and repeat like our fathers the battle cry for Christ and King. Um, <laughs> that is part of your national anthem. So, <laughs> yeah, this is not on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's so different. Because that all that thing about the the king and church that you were just reading yeah. is not in on this Wikipedia page. Well, we've we've covered that you don't have your own can- Canadian Wikipedia. We have covered that before. Yeah, so we're on the same Wikipedia page. And okay. so what you were just reading, I yeah. think it was maybe in the original lyrics. Yeah, okay. It's in the original so French version, but it hasn't changed. The, well. It hasn't changed. We read that earlier. It hasn't changed. No, but it's just, this it's is. It's just later in the song. You don't sing well, that part. Well, okay. So that's an important detail <laughs> that when the national anthem gets sung as it's sang I don't know if they get that far. Do they get that far? No, it's quite... Well, I mean, just scroll up in the Wikipedia page. It's a shorter national anthem version. They said that there's the second and third stanzas and the chorus, plus an additional fourth stanza that are rarely sung. Yeah, so, like, in terms of... Like, there's a song that... there's a, There was a whole song, and then they took part of that song and made the part of it the national anthem. I would well, so dispute, which part are you seeing as the part that they use now? The part that's only as long as the the English part that you... Red. Oh yeah, okay. Just the yeah, the first one that I read. Yeah, the one that yeah, starts. Yeah, with, the one that but it's, does mention how carrying crosses and things, but but yeah. doesn't mention. It's not quite as intense. Yeah, they're carrying crosses, but they're and they're protecting their their valor is steeped in faith, and they know how to hold a sword and stuff. Yeah, and they're protecting their. The thing that's most interesting to me on this, actually, it, especially with like the history of Canada and Quebec, is that the thing that we we in English sing the last line, which repeats twice, which is, Oh, Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Yeah. In French, they repeat twice, we'll protect our homes and our rights. Yeah. Which is super interesting to me. Yeah, very different. Yeah, carrying the cross. Yeah, and I, I'm not making a... Listen, I'm not saying... I'm not making any kind of um, 
you know, I'm not, ju- I'm not judging. I just think it's like fascinating that they're so different. Yeah, it's totally different. They're, so, yeah, they're completely different songs. <laughs> so the English one is like talking about, but the first, the, the first two lines are basically the same in English and French or the same sentiment, which is Canada. This is where we're from. We're here. This is us. Right. This is here. And then in, in the English, they go to, uh, you make us all love you basically. And in French, it talks about how glorious Canada is. And then with English, you have what is the kind of most loved line of the, the song, which is with glowing hearts. We see the the most love. That's the most love line in Canada. Well, I would say like that term with glowing hearts is like, I think people have like a positive association with that. Huh. It has, it's a very positive sentiment. Okay. Like to have a glowing heart, like it's, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It sounds nice. A heart is glowing. I, for me. Well, I mean, obviously true no strong and free. Yeah, I thought like that was the real, like, that feels like the heart yeah, of the yeah, song. Yeah. That is, that's true. That is, I mean, but I mean, that's a, um, hmm, not cliche, but now I'm like, I'm having this like meta crisis of like. Well, I mean, the Raptors don't agree. Yeah, well, yeah. True, 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 not strong and free. Definitely the most, I mean, other than O Canada, which is, but yes, true, not strong and free, tier one of O Canada lyric. But then in French, though, they don't talk about that at all. There's no glowing no. hearts. There's no true, nor no. strong and free. Nope. They're carrying crosses. Your history is an epic, it's cool. Um, A lot of swords involved. Brilliant deeds, valor. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. protecting protecting your home's right. Yeah, it's much more militant. Yes, it's more militant. It's obviously openly religious as opposed to, you know, sort of vaguely nation building in the English one, we'd say. Yeah, and like now like this thing of the, the brilliant deeds, which is something that I kind of, I'm a, I was aware was in the French version of the song. But in, uh, like in the 1800s, they wrote the line, your history is an epic of brilliant deeds. Like I love Canada as much as the next Canadian, but I don't know if that's <laughs> like, how would you characterize Canadian history up to the 1800s? I would not say an epic of brilliant deeds. Well, that's not what it, it is after the war of 1812, which we still have not talked about on the show. We will. That's true. Eventually. We should get to that. But I think most Canadians, you would say, what were the, what were the most epic deeds that Canada has achieved? You would probably go more modern than the, 1800s that's a good thing yeah your best days were ahead of you when this Mm -hmm. song was written um or (laughs) yeah definitely definitely kind of fascinating and that's that's something that's that's something that's always interested me is things that are different in english and french like you'll see a a product like a cereal box or whatever like how does it advertise itself to the english people and how does it advertise like if it's translated cheaply or they're not paying much attention to it you'll have a very literal translation and it will be very interesting but if they're really thinking about like you know the differences between english and french as languages and as potential markets sometimes you'll get some fun um fun subtleties in how they they promote things which i always yeah i I enjoy the same thing when watching movies if i sort of know the language that the people are speaking and it's not english and like to see the subtitles and hear what they're actually saying um, and to see where they kind of like, maybe they were too long or maybe they just, but sometimes they just completely change the meaning. And it's just like, wow, that, that actually doesn't really feel like it, it's the same thing at all. I have an aside for you that I don't know if you know this, but you know, Canada, much like the United States, some stuff is decided sort of province by province or state by state. Sure. And in Manitoba, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Ontario, and Prince Edward Island, 
the the there's a mandate that the national anthem be played daily in elementary and secondary schools. But you probably didn't know that because in British Columbia, where you grew up, it's only three times a year. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know it was mandated that it be done three times a year. We would uh, anytime there's a school assembly. We'd exactly, three times a year at assemblies. Daily though. Daily. What in Daily. what do they do in America or in like I guess California? Like, uh, we they... didn't. I went to school in in both California, New Jersey, and Washington, and. My memory is that we did the Pledge of Allegiance, but not the but not the national anthem. Oh, okay, let me start on that. Yeah. Okay. Pledge of Allegiance is a whole, a whole other thing. That's a yeah. whole thing. So that's a whole thing. But the national anthem. But like, so when when like a if a Canadian hockey team from not Quebec plays a Canadian hockey a Canadian hockey team from Quebec, do they do both versions of the anthem like they do when a U.S. team plays a Canadian team, or do they just do the one of whichever? province they're playing in i would be extremely surprised they won't they wouldn't i would go out on a limb and say they wouldn't do oh canada in english and french they would just do it in the way they're going to do it whatever but, the arena was probably right like if it's in montreal yeah, wherever they would the do it in, Quebec, in french and if not it they would do it in english probably but like from my memory which is so i mean we're in different sides we're so far away from quebec that our teams would rarely play each other um so i have yeah, a couple the, times a year yeah and so you wouldn't i wouldn't i haven't seen many um vancouver um, Montreal games, but off the top of my head, if you asked me, do they sing "O Canada" in French at Montreal Canadiens games? I would have said no question mark. No, I but, think they do. But yeah, now like the more I think about it, I'd be like, yeah, they probably do it. They sing it in French. I've just never noticed that, or I can't remember having. Well, the that. only reason I know about it is because every time the NBA like plays in Toronto, then suddenly they're doing the Canadian national anthem and the U.S. national anthem, and like like any time like an American NBA team plays in Toronto. Which yeah, when that's super standard, like game. most of the team, like most of the games that I see are a Canadian team versus an American team. So I'm used to both anthems being. And it's always right. kind of fun when you have two Canadian teams and you only do one anthem and then everyone's like, I don't know. Yeah, just just the Canadian. Yeah, I w- I'd be very surprised if they do the French and then the English. I one. think they should do the English and the French back to back at the at the French games because there's enough people in the arena then that would understand both that would be like, oh, man, these are really different. Yeah, <laughs> like, we yeah. need to raise awareness because I'm not going to lie. I listen. I, I'm not Canadian, but that I think it's really amazing that the lyrics of the English language one have been kind of you know updated a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I feel pride. I'm from just going to say that. I'm, I'm not going to make any other inference. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I mean, there could be a few more nips and tucks, but it's also hard when you're like, okay, if the land, if the line is "God keep our land glorious and free." And what are you going to change God to? Like, that's a way harder discussion than like all our sons command to all of us command is much more very like, <laughs> it's obvious what you might want to try to sub in, you know, there's fewer right. options. Right. Right. Whereas like yeah. God, keep our land glorious and free. What are you going to? We could say, let's keep our land. But anyway, I'm not trying to change it. I'm trying to point out that that one has been changed and the other one. <laughs> Eh. <laughs> has remained eh. very eh. unch. Well, I mean, I, it's not like super. <laughs> it's not super problematic. It's not like it's. I mean, it's I pretty mean, militaristic, but it's not like it's denigrating minorities. <laughs> no, but do you have separation of church and state in Canada? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like quite as like the separation of church and state in Canada is so so much part of a bedrock of Canadian politics. I'm not even familiar with, like in, in the U.S., I know it's like that's part of the Constitution and there's specific rules and you have to, you can only go so this far and the Supreme Court has to rule on like 
what the limits are or what you can and can't do. Whereas in Canada, like you never hear about it. So uh, I'm not sure actually what the the um, the charter has to say about that. I'm sure it's in there. It seems like it would have to be. Well, we have freedom of religion. You have fundamental freedoms of religion, speech, the press, free assembly and association and guarantees of equality. But apparently you also have some sort of loophole that I'm here reading about now that that there's a notwithstanding section that allows the uh, federal... Oh, don't get starting it. That, that's a whole other... That's a fun fact for itself, notwithstanding. We'll do, it, we'll do another one on that one. Yeah, we'll I'll put it. that on the list. Oh, yeah, God, we'll leave that for another started. time. We'll have a constitution, <laughs> but people can override it if they want. Yeah, whenever... What, if they want. But you no know. one will, don't worry, but they could. But they uh, totally could. Yeah, oh, we man. really do need to talk oh, about man. that at okay. some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. Okay. Well, I'm just saying it could be time. Maybe it's time for a... A rethink of the lyrics on that one but maybe not i don't know whatever canada you do you i'm not canadian I really asking have quebec to, to change their traditional stuff it's a bit of a, a touchy issue <laughs> <laughs> we tend to just kind of that's a whole other oh this is not currently a problem we'll just let them it's a whole okay, other conversation they're gonna do that great yeah you, okay you do that thing we'll do that thing yeah we need yeah 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 okay. and we all get along yeah, it's kind of bananas. <laughs> Speaking of bananas. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As you may know. Uh, maybe. There's been concern since the 90s that bananas as we know them are going to go extinct. I do know some things about this. I would say my knowledge is, is vague, but there is some. You hear about it, there'll be like a, a newspaper story or a, some... Like, I don't know, what are the two dateline or whatever? Like, there'll be a bananas and there'll be a little yeah. kind of mini thing. Uh, you, you get a lot of stories like that about a lot of things. Like, is yeah. chocolate going extinct? Right. Are all bees going to die? Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like the bees thing. It's like, I've been hearing since right. I was a kid, the bees are all going to be gone. Right. There's still bees. There are. But the banana one, I remember some slightly more specific. So I'm curious if it's what you're going to say. Yeah, so... Fun fact, and this is, like, I'd known about the thing in general, but I learned this very recently and found it fascinating. Fun fact, bananas have gone extinct before. Yes. So I I think I know about this. I'm looking forward to learning more. Yeah. So this was totally news to me. Um, and it partially made me take this more seriously, but then also makes it a little more flippant because you're like, whatever. I mean, we already did that once. Um, but it's a little more serious this time. So. The story behind this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the standard banana that they cultivated and exported around the world was a different variation. It was called the Gros Michel. So like Big Michael. It's like the the sort of relatively sturdy, has a thick peel um, and could actually be transported around the world. And on the back of this uh, variety of banana, they built an international uh, trade and distribution of the banana, which has been, you know, it's incredibly successful story in international trade and uh, in the fruit industry, right? And like other bananas, which there's many varieties, but like other modern bananas, the Gros Michel is seedless. There's like kind of, you can see when you eat a banana, there's like kind of the scar tissue of when it used to have seeds that has been kind of bred out of it and doesn't have any seeds. Um, and seed being seedless is great uh, for a person eating a banana, but it's not super great if you're trying to grow a banana. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a, a challenge, right? <laughs> um, and there's a few, there's a few fruits that we've kind of come to this, this point. It's like, okay, this food, this food would be a lot tastier 
if it didn't have seeds in it. And, you know, it causes some problems, so we're going to manage the, the, the consequences of this. And for bananas, the consequence is that you've got to clone a new banana plant from the existing banana plant instead of it having uh, genetic mixing and variation and creating lots of each tree is slightly genetically different. Basically, Wait, so co- the, the bananas we eat, if we didn't make them have new plants, they would just not that be it? They don't. They can't reproduce in any way because they have no seeds. They're huh. just they're the fruit. Because the, the purpose of a tree to create fruit is to spread seeds but we knock that out of them because it makes them more pleasant to eat so they can't reproduce in the way that they would naturally they can only reproduce when we uh take clippings from the tree and are able to plant plant new ones which is like something that's possible with certain species and so it's great for banana farmers that they can do that from bananas but the consequence of that is that you clone the banana plant you take the banana plant and you're not like it's not reproducing by combining two banana plants and the bees come and the pollen blah 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 blah, and make a slightly new banana plant that has I think variations I see where from the this genes. is going it's an exactly the same banana plant um and that's actually like so they're basically clones they're not basically clones they're like genetically clones if you're to <laughs> dna test uh two bananas they Which would be we're like going this to is, later in the show it was this banana responsible for that crime. Yes, it was that banana. We're at SVU again. <laughs> We're back at SVU corner. The banana <laughs> is falsely tried for the crime that it's, it's clue. The banana did it in the in the you know laundry room with the banana. Yeah, it, they're not like quadruplets. They're like whatever. No, the same. It's multi-billion. Oh they had an identical clone. Yeah, they had an identical clone. Yeah. And so, but that's like in some ways that's good. Like when if you're marketing bananas and you're trying to you know grow them and ship them around the world and like oh how long will this quality control quality control is really great for them to be clones because they're all exactly the same they're going to ripen in the same way they're all going to be roughly the same shape like if you look at other varieties of bananas uh some of them are like pretty weird shaped and stuff like that but like you get the clones Uh, i think most of the modern ones are clones but like basically it's it's convenient in various ways for them all to be identical identical plants are also really great if you're a banana fungus and you eat banana plants, then that means if you can eat one banana plant, you can eat them all because they're all clones of each other. This sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Good for the banana eating bacteria. What's the problem? Yeah. I mean, that's just great, right? It sounds for, great. Everybody for, wins. It's an all-you-can-eat banana yeah. plant buffet. Yeah. Um, so in the early 1900s, this happened there was a fungus called fusarium oxysporum which just sounds like a good name for fungus to me yeah. i feel like that was a good good naming approach there and uh it started hitting these uh farms full of these grow michelle bananas and it was like pretty like rapidly like once a plot of land was infected with this fungus once it was in the soil you basically could never blow grow bananas on that soil again more wow. or less because it just lives in the soil kind of endlessly and waits for you to plant more banana plants so what does it eat while it's waiting forever that's crazy it can live in other plants too but it's really brutal oh, on the banana it just really wants bananas yeah but if it's it, it'll live on the other weeds and stuff like that and once wow. it gets into one banana it just goes bananas so yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry uh, but <laughs> he'll see himself out ladies and gentlemen. yeah the end um in... <laughs> that was how the podcast came to it <laughs> and we never recorded again yeah, in the early yeah. 1900s um, <laughs> this thing started spreading but to the point where in 1992 or 1922 
Apparently, reportedly, one of the big Broadway hit songs of 1922 was the song We Have No Bananas from the show Make It Snappy, which is about an early banana shortage well, due to this. I, I hate to correct you, but I love that song. Oh, oh, you know, you know of the song. <laughs> it's called Yes, We Have No Bananas. Yes, We Have No Bananas. Okay. I did not expect anyone to refer to this song. <laughs> so that is awesome. And it's we'll- a great song. no bananas we have no bananas today we got string beans and onions and big juicy lemons and all kinds of fruit and say we've got an old-fashioned tomato a long island potato oh yes we have no bananas um, so that's where that song today. came from is uh 1922 that's the hit song um that uh that <laughs> came from the banana shortage and so by the 1950s the disease basically made there was nowhere left where that had been growing these bananas that could still grow them and and ship them in any quantities and so Mm. they were forced to switch to uh, a different alternative that was more robust and could resist this fungus called the cavendish which is what we now know as a normal banana is it pronounced cavendish or cavendish according to google cavendish okay the issue though with the cavendish and why they were resistant to switching over to it is that it was considered not to be as tasty as the previous kind of banana. So you're telling me that all the bananas I know and have eaten and enjoy are are just BS bananas? They're BS bananas because mm. the good bananas went extinct. And everyone was very sad about it. Are, are they actually extinct extinct? Well, yeah. So, so they're not extinct extinct. They became kind of uncultivatable in a commercial farm setting. But if you, oh. and especially like the, um, the process that would like get them to the point where you can ship so many around the world that you can have like a sort of a whole economy where you're shipping them around. But there are still, if you go to Thailand or Malaysia, apparently, then you've got local markets, you can try this, this banana still. Well, I so can't they, wait to do that because it sounds great. Yeah. Well, it's so like, kind of a side thing uh, about the taste variation. I kind of wanted to understand a little better, like how are, do they taste different? And apparently they're like a little bit creamier and maybe a little bit sweeter, a little bit more stronger f- flavor. Um, but one thing, modern taster buds don't actually prefer them as strongly as pe- people did at the time. Because huh. at the time, this is like the banana everyone knew and loved. Uh, and right. the this other thing is that different. That was banana. That's what banana yeah, that's what banana tastes, tastes like. And this other thing is just kind of different. And something that I... I, apparently there's some controversy around, but I found very fascinating is that, or not controversy, it's like agreed, but it's not exactly agreed how much of an effect this is, is that when they created quote unquote artificial banana flavor, it tasted a lot like the Gros Michel bananas that existed at the time. Oh. And so now when people taste a Cavendish banana, it doesn't taste as much like artificial banana flavor. And then if you taste a Gros Michel banana, you're like, it tastes a little bit artificial. (laughs) 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 And it's like, it apparently has more of whatever ester makes uh, artificial banana flavor is a bit more stronger presence in the old bananas than in um, modern banana. So that's amazing. That's one reason apparently why people don't like 
the, the, the gap in flavor, if you do like a blind test or whatever, people are not as into the old ones as they used to be. <laughs> because it tastes artificial because <laughs> it tastes artificial that's amazing because they accurately reproduced it yeah um, yeah good job uh, reproducers yeah those are those are, <laughs> flavors are also another like side fun fact uh grape flavor like if you think like purple flavored thing doesn't yeah, really taste like grape. delicious it tastes like a specific kind of grape called a concord grape that the first time i tasted it i'm like huh tastes like purple <laughs> <laughs> Which I was a little bit disturbed by that all this time. I'm like, what are they doing with this grape flavor? This doesn't taste like a grape at all. Um, and so there's kind of, a, to a lesser degree, the similar thing with this bananas. What was the, where was it going with all of this? <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm loving every everything about it. Whoa, right. So so now, so now uh, many years later, we've switched to the Cavendish bananas. Everyone's enjoying them. It's great. There's more bananas yeah. being sold than ever yeah. before. Billions of dollars of bananas being sold around the world. And they're an important part of a lot of countries' economies, an important part of a lot of countries' diets. But the uh, nature will find a way. And uh, a new strain of this fungus, which they call Panama disease, has mutated and has started infecting the Cavendish bananas now, too. And so started in the Eastern Hemisphere since the 90s. And that's where these stories of that bananas are going to go extinct because the as it spreads, like like I was saying, once it infects the soil in uh, on a plot of land, it kind of you kind of can't commercially grow bananas there anymore. And so it's been kind of spreading from farm to farm in the Eastern Hemisphere. And then just last month in August, uh, they it was found for the first time in uh, the Americas. It was found in Colombia, which is oh, like right no. in the heart of banana country, which yeah. they've known for a long time that was going to eventually happen because it spreads very easily. Like uh, if workers like change countries or equipment makes its way or anything, then it will kind of like a little bit of soil will bring it across. And then once it gets to a banana plant, it just kind of spreads. So um, so now it's kind of like the the time is ticking before it kind of spreads through the new world and uh and obviously it'll spread a lot faster now that it's in colombia and then it's kind of gonna end up probably being the end of the cavendish um uh the cavendish i should say to to be the banana of choice and so, so even what's though, next so what's next is the kind of obvious We're going to candy banana flavored candy little foam marshmallow things <laughs> oh, God. yeah peeps peeps <laughs> um do peeps taste like banana? Maybe have no, I never had a peep? No, I don't think peeps taste like anything. No, they they have the foam mush, marshmallow banana. Do, they? Do not have those in America. Like you know how uh, they have the little marshmallow strawberry things, the little red marshmallow candies. No, you don't know those things. Is that a Canadian know. thing? Okay, mar- I don't know. Maybe it's just not a thing I know. Bananas. Maybe. I don't know. Everything. Marshmallow bananas. Maybe you just <laughs> okay. I feel like you can't not know these. This is like you must just have forgotten. Okay, maybe. Because you know, I'm going to paste it to you, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, those marshmallow bananas. I, I don't know. what. Oh, uh, I, I have seen those, yes. Okay. McCormick's, I don't know them super well. But I although I, I type marshmallow bananas and a bunch of like references to Canada has come up. I don't know. Maybe it's more yeah, that, popular. That is upic.ca. I don't know what that website is. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be shouting them out. But like, that's a Canadian website. Love what you eat, marshmallow bananas. Uh, speaking of artificial banana flavor, that is yeah. uh, front center of those things. Okay, so why were we talking about that? Oh, yeah, because what are we going to replace the Cavendish with? And the answer is... The best episode ever. Like, they don't have a backup. Because with before, they were like, okay, well, what are all the various things, the varieties of banana that could even be shipped and transported and 
and right. be part of a global market. And, and there were only two? There was not many options that they could pick from, but the Cavendish was the best option. But now that oh, the, the fungus no. has mutated, there is no known banana strain that is commercially exportable and resistant to the fungus. This is a real problem. It's a serious problem. And like the banana industry is getting kind of desperate. Um, and apparently they're urgently trying to mutate a banana that is resistant to the fungus and also edible <laughs> by irradiating banana genes oh. with x-rays and other oh, radiation no. to make oh, a no. X-Men style <laughs> oh, mutant no. banana. That's how much That's of a problem a tough this is. Road. Yeah, and apparently they have actually made some varieties that were, like, better than others using this technique. Like, they've made lots of much worse varieties, I'm sure. Sure, yeah. Um, but they're running out of time. They just kind of like, well, you know, we'll just let the them sow their wild oats, and which they can't do because they have no seeds, so you have to... <laughs> yeah, it's not great. It's not great. But the bananas. So what they need is, like, a, a Cavendish that is somehow immune, and then they just clone that one. That would be ideal. Um, yeah. But the uh, more it's the sense I got from reading about it was that they they see more promise with making an immune strain more exportable. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm ready for a new banana because I just don't like. I mean, you know, everyone says that fruits just used to taste better in general, and it's because we've just cut out most of the varietals, right? And that a lot of fruit have been bred to be bigger or more yeah, robust but, rather than to be not tastier. as flavorful. Yeah. 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 But like if you look at uh, if I think I was watching like the Anthony Bourdain show and he was in Brazil and there's all these fruits that they have there that are apparently delicious that you can't get here because there's no way to transport them. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's something that uh, next time I'm in a more tropical country, I'm going to try harder to kind of seek out you know it's a little intimidating going to like a local market in one of these countries but you can find some really cool stuff and you just like try it and it's super cheap like buy a little bit of this fruit buy a little bit of this fruit as long as it's it's not gonna sell you poisonous stuff but you have a basic idea of what you're getting uh and and it can be you can find some really tasty things that can't easily be because the way they export bananas like they they pick them when they're like super green and then they ripen on the ship right yeah yeah that's right yeah and you even in your house you don't you don't eat them until they've fully ripened. Yeah, and that's like super important in the process of like, how are we going to grow a thing across the world and then send it to you in a cost-effective... Because like, if they have to airlift the bananas, it's not going to be 69 cents a pound. <laughs> right? Indeed. That's not going to work. Right. Uh, and then it's like, oh, you have to eat them tomorrow because otherwise they'll be brown, you know? Right. So yeah. it's a, it's, yeah, 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 it's yeah, a yeah, tough time to be a banana. Bananas the last... It's tough time to be a banana, but it's a great time to be a banana eating fungus. It's a great time. If you've been considering a career <laughs> in being a in, banana eating fungus, get in. Now is the time yeah. for you. Not the ground floor, but you, it's still pretty early. You can you can you can get in there. You can get in. There's some opportunity remaining. Yeah. Yeah. But if you really have had your heart set more on what a sound and audio reproduction, if that's a career you've been thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. then 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 fun fact seashells don't hold the sound of the ocean inside them really because i always thought that when you hold up the seashell there was like a little speaker in there <laughs> well there kind of is it's just you know not playing ocean sounds wait so you're saying that like the ocean sounds that you hear when you hold up a seashell 
are a different i'd always assumed maybe i'm maybe this is like the I'm realizing something when I'm an adult instead of when I'm six years old, yes. you're supposed to learn it. But I always assumed it was just like, yeah, you hold it up the seashell when you're near the ocean and you yeah, amplifies the ocean. And you're like, ah, it sounds like the ocean in there. No, but people will tell you that you can hear the ocean in listening to a seashell no matter where you are. I did not know that. And I feel like I've missed out on many seashell listening opportunities. Yeah, you could have been enjoying the sounds of the ocean no matter where you were. Because I just see a seashell sitting there. I'm like, well, it's not near the ocean. So I'm not going to be able to What's the point? In it. What's even the point? Well, it would totally work because what you're actually doing when you hold a seashell up to your ear is creating a what's called a Helmholtz resonance, which is named after a device called the Helmholtz resonator which was invented by Hermann von Helmholtz in the 1850s. And so he he invented seashells. Well, no. So he invented a machine that was useful for isolating different frequencies okay. or musical pitches that might be present in complex sounds. But the way he did it, it turns out nature does it already whenever you do certain things. And one of them, it's not a particularly high-quality Helmholtz resonance. It's actually pretty, pretty low quality. There's a scale for these things. <laughs> seashells, but come on. But it works because the spherical shape of the shell, basically what it's doing is it's amplifying all of the ambient sound around you and making it so that you can hear it. Okay, so if you're near the ocean, it does amplify that. But if you're near anything else, it amplifies that in a way that sounds oceany? It still sounds like the ocean, yeah. Because it's just all of the ambient sounds of the outdoors and the wind and the air and people talking and whatever it is you're hearing. It's not very good quality, so it's kind of distorted and... Like a much better example of a of a Helmholtz resonator is to blow uh, air across the mouth of a bottle. You know that sound? Oh, sure, yeah. And then you get a very specific pitch depending on how full the bottle exactly, is. exactly, and how what the size of the bottle is. And actually, if you take different seashells, the same effect will happen. You'll get different tones. But anything, basically, anything that can vibrate air in a cavity will work. So one experiment you can try at home, and I hope to get Alan to try this on the show, is to hold your mouth in like an O shape. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm doing it. And then f- and then flick your cheek with your finger. Yeah, okay. There you go. Classic. That's a Helmholtz resonance. That's definitely like I sh- I realized that when I was when I was 6 that that was cool when I should have been realizing that the seashells actually are not just reflecting the ocean. <laughs> but so yeah, it's basically creating like an amplifier but it's amplifying specifically amplifying sounds that you otherwise can't hear at all. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So sounds that are higher or lower pitch than you would normally be able to perceive or because they're too quiet they're too quiet i think they're just so ambient so like something like in the distance like oh there might be cars driving on the freeway blocks away and you wouldn't notice it yeah there's some piece of it coming to you that you ordinarily don't even notice but this would resonate that ah okay so then there's always and like the ocean just sounds kind of like white noise anyway it's like a shh that's so right. That's why you think exactly. you hear the there's a almost anyone in any urban environment, even if you're outside, then it's like the wind and the trees. There's some shh, white noisy sound happening. Totally. And then you're you know looking at a seashell or listening to a seashell. You're uh, thinking about the ocean. It. You're smelling an oceany sound, smell. Maybe if it you know it's recent or whatever. Uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, you're you're picking up what I'm ambiently passing across <laughs> the uh, the airwaves. That's what I meant to say. So what I find fascinating too, I, so I think that's super cool and it's really interesting to know because I, I had always wondered about that and now, I, and now I know. But the person who discovered this or like that it's named for, right? Mm-hmm. This is this Hermann von Helmholtz, uh, another German 
scientist as is the as is the tradition as is the tradition here yeah absolutely he achieved things so he was living in the 1800s like 1820s to 1890s and during his career he did he he had major impacts in physiology and psychology mathematics vision theory color vision research the sensation of tone perception of sound in physics, in conservation of energy, electrodynamics, chemical thermodynamics, and on a mechanical foundation of thermodynamics, as a philosopher, he had a philosophy of science. He had ideas on the relation between the laws of perception and the laws of nature. He did stuff with the science of aesthetics and, in general, just promoted science. Like he did, like this is just one random scientist that you happen to come across when researching yeah. this one thing. Because in the eighteen hundreds, there are so many stuff that you're just like, yeah, I'll just revolutionize this field, revolutionize this field, make an important contribution here. That's what I wanted to talk about. Isn't that like? Do you think that the reason that, that doesn't happen anymore is just because science kept going and now it's just no, harder just, and more complicated, or do we specialize too much? People these days are just lazy. They're just not even. <laughs> <laughs> They're just not looking. Uh, no, it's the specialized. It's like it's, we're we specialize, right? It's like the low hanging fruit. Actually, there's an interesting. Um, there's a podcast called Econ Talk, which is mm. a very nerdy sounding, and is Sounds fairly cool. nerdy, but it's not as nerdy as the name would imply. It's like not just. It is by an economist, but he invites various people to talk about things that are interesting to economists, even if the people he's interviewing are not economists. And one of the episodes, one of the uh, fairly recent episodes this year was Patrick Collison, who is the CEO of Stripe, randomly, was on this economics podcast to talk about the slowing pace of scientific progress and what the causes of that might be. Um, and cause there's a few different theories as to what causes the slowdown. And like the fairly obvious one is like, we are just, we discover the really easy discover stuff. And then we discover the harder to discover stuff. And we have to discover the pretty hard to discover stuff. And eventually it's like the, to discover even slightly more in this field requires a team of 1000 people to work for 10 years to get 1% further. Like the, it's becoming, uh, we're basically asymptotically approaching complete knowledge of the field. Um, and that's one theory that the thing is, if you have that mental model, then you're like, well, I guess just science stops being very useful to spend money on anymore. Right. But there's some alternative theories um, that I'll link up the the show or the podcast in the show notes that uh, Patrick and some other people have been kind of pushing that there's actually some reasons why we're becoming less efficient at making new scientific discoveries that are not related to that. And that there's maybe some things that scientists and that pure research uh, scientists can actually uh, potentially be producing more than they are. So uh, kind of something that's interesting. Yeah. So one thing that I, I know randomly is that the in the field of mathematics, there are more pure mathematic papers being written every year than anyone could have time to read. In <laughs> if your job was 40 hours a week, maybe 550 hours a week, just reading pure mathematics papers, you couldn't read them all in it. a year. And the thing about pure mathematics is it becomes applied mathematics when someone finds a use for it. Right. But if no one's reading your paper who knows what to do with it, then it remains pure math. And I think that one of the the reason I asked the question, one of the reasons I asked the question was because I, I have thought a lot about this idea that people are so specialized that, and yeah, they're just digging out these really specific, really intricate details that are kind of on the margins at this point in some of these fields. But if you take a step back and you get people 
from more diverse fields looking at stuff. If there was the problem is that there's so much information being produced that they that they can't like the right person is missing or the right people are missing the thing and that there might be a lot of major stuff happening if you could put together oh this thing from over here and this thing from over here and this thing from over here but no one knows all those things yeah and that's increasingly the challenge is not like discovering one more fact but putting together the usefulness of that fact and like so many modern like breakthroughs in the applied realm of like oh because the thing like one of the most valuable things right now in 2019 is can you make a battery that's 10 percent more efficient or 10 percent lighter or it has 10 percent more cycle like any if you can improve batteries in any way a 10 percent battery leap in any direction 10 percent any in any attribute of a battery would just be a huge economic win yeah but the people who spend all day every day thinking about batteries and hitting their heads against the chemistry of the things that we already use to make batteries they will they are making progress in little bits here and there around the margins but it could easily be that the thing that actually there's some like probably there's a fact that someone has discovered in the last 50 years that and that person was not a battery researcher and so they didn't it didn't occur to them that that fact would make some huge improvement in batteries because it has nothing to do with it like that that person right they were studying whatever other thing some completely unrelated yeah. field maybe it's in one of those pure math papers maybe it's a quantum physics thing maybe it's something like you hear about these things like someone is trying to create a polymer that glues things together and they accidentally create a fluorescent shade of purple that is more <laughs> more light resistant than any previous <laughs> shade of purple and then they become a billionaire from it like it's very nothing better than a better purple well i mean dyes are valuable like um but it's, it's one of those kind of things where if the only in the specific shade of blue shade of blue shade of purple i can also find and link that up the scientist that that accidentally created this new economically valuable shade of blue in the last few years the only reason they noticed it is because they'd previously worked in that field in the field of like trying to create new colors and so he did some experiment trying to create something totally unrelated and then it was like they're like oh weird it's blue and he's like oh it's blue that's valuable and he happened to <laughs> know that but otherwise it just been thrown away because he was not what he's trying to do so exactly I find that super fascinating as a generalist, as somebody who does not have a PhD in pure math or in battery science or these things. Um, I find it appealing, the idea that knowing about a wide variety of things can sometimes um, also be valuable. Absolutely. By the way, as a, as a random side note, the, the same Hemmoltz guy, he, at some point, he in a, working on acoustics, he he figured out that that some combinations of resonator could mimic vowel sounds, and apparently Alexander Graham Bell was really interested in it, but couldn't read German, and therefore misunderstood the diagrams that Hemholtz had made. Okay, and, <laughs> and couldn't reproduce what he thought that Hemholtz had done, but later said that had he been able to read German, he would not have gone on to invent the telephone on the harmonic telegraph principle. Ooh why why wouldn't he have gone in to invent it because he was trying to do this multiplex telegraph signal thing because he thought that's what hemholtz had done ah okay but in in reality hemholtz was only using electrical power to keep these resonators moving or something i don't really understand all of it but basically he was he thought that someone had invented something and he tried to reproduce it and therefore invented it that's awesome i feel like yeah, I think that there, it's always fascinating stories of accidental discovery 
but it's always hard to like, so what did we learn there? From the thing I just told you? Like, like I'm a scientist and then you hear a story like someone did some random crap and then they accidentally discovered the super important thing. Um, yeah, well, I th- well, you think we learned a couple things, but the one thing I think is interesting. Well, like you, we learned a fun fact, so it works we for did. us. That's that's yeah, our that's job true. covered. <laughs> but if you're trying to like change the world, well, no, but I do think it's interesting the this idea that like if you believe that someone else has already done a thing, you can do it, but otherwise, maybe you can't. Yeah, that is actually that's a known thing. Like the if you, I mean, I don't know if that story proved it, but like the thing of like the one minute mile or whatever. Like once yeah, you know no, that it's some, very similar. something is achievable, the sudden is like, oh well a huge barrier to achieving any task is the self-doubt of like, am I wasting my time? Right. Because Alexander Graham Bell might've tried a hundred ways to do something and then be like, you know what? It can't be done. But because he thought someone else had already done it, he's like, no, I'm going to keep trying. Huh? And then I guess that then reinforces that idea, which is a big problem, but also an enabler, which is these overconfident startup CEOs, 99 of them just hit their head (laughs) against the wall. But when you succeed as a startup CEO, you are probably also overconfident because that's why you tried at this ridiculous idea in the first place yeah 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 startup ceos <laughs> so they're the worst we, they really are uh you just to check in you, are you getting the iphone pro yeah okay just wanted to make sure i will get it late yeah you yeah you just um you'll take some baby photos with that and then it'll be i mean you have the 10r already so you have a good camera but like 10s you have a 10s yeah so you already have a good camera so it's not like you're like multi-generation behind um, but I think that often for a lot of people, the the paying the extra for the pro is kind of a frivolous expense. But when you're like getting into that first newborn territory, I think you'll make good use of that. But uh, but I did just buy a new lens for my like nicer cam for my micro four thirds camera. Do you have an actual micro four thirds or is it one of the Sony ones? No, I have one of the Sony ones. It's a, a uh, APS-C. APS-C. Yeah, that's right. I have a actually. So did you get the one true lens, the 1.8? Fun fact. Prime. Did you get the 1.8 Prime? No. Fun fact. What? Do you have the already of the 1.8 Prime? Fun fact. When purchasing an APS-C lens, reading the the aspect ratio or whatever it is, the millimeters, is very misleading. Because it converts differently to a full-frame camera. Because it's like a 1.6x mm-hmm. factor change, yep. and they don't include that, even when the lens is designed for a Sony E-mount camera. So like when, when I bought... So I bought this it's like the a6000 so it's like a couple years old now and i bought it for my wife um, as a present and then i told her oh you know what you need is a really good prime 50 millimeter lens yes you were right is what she bought so the even if they say that it's an aps-c you know even if they say it's a, a 50 millimeter uh depth of field it's actually like 85 millimeters so she kept taking photos and i kept being like why does it why is it so hard to get anything We're so zoomed in why is it so zoomed in why is it so hard to get like exactly what i want out of this camera lens and so then i was you know looking at lenses because of baby having and and i was like oh man you know what i really want is like a 35 millimeter and so i was like well, let me do some research and then in doing my research i was like what what 1.6 what so it's Actually, that sounds more happy. It was more like, what? This? What? No, what? So so what I bought was... Oh, I did buy the 1.8. Yeah, I bought the... You got the E35 millimeter 1.8 OSS. I got the ESELF 35 F1.8, the 35 millimeter fixed 1.8 prime fixed lens. That's the one. You got the right lens. Very expensive. Well, medium expensive. Not not very expensive. For, for camera, medium expensive. You're right. Yeah. 
Medium. But it's like pretty small, yeah. and it has that giant. I mean, one point eight isn't as big as it gets, but it has like a big open aperture. No, but one point so four get gets that. very expensive. One point four is kind of silly, and what yeah. one point eight is great for is like you're indoors, but you can still and so you can like open it way up, and you can get that like there's a baby and a blurred background, and the baby's being cute, and it's just great. Yeah. So the next one I want is the is a twelve millimeter, mm-hmm. which will be more like a thirty five, you know, and mainly for like travel. Sure. But but for yeah, for taking photos of the kid, I was like, OK, I'll just buy this. And, you know, for, you know, ease of for the fact that it's on me all the time and, and ease of use and stuff, my 10S is definitely going to be doing a lot of hard work. And then the 11 Pro, whenever that gets here. But I think technically speaking, other than computational photography, this couple of years old, a 6000 is still a better camera with this lens yeah. uh, than, than the iPhone. Specifically so. for getting that like nice, like open in an in indoor scenario with a blurred background that's actually, uh, you know, yeah, the, truly the real, the real, the, bo- the real bokeh. Yeah. And one thing that's bokeh, actually interesting um, about the portrait mode on the iPhones is that when you're trying to catch a baby that's like moving around, portrait mode is pretty slow. So even on the, like the 10s, and so it doesn't work that well with little kids mm. because they're kind of still moving around and it takes a while to process it and so mm. it's much nicer to just go burst mode with this because 6000 i assume has a burst mode i have the 6300 which is pretty similar you can just hold it down and it goes like clack 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 and then then you just pick the that's one. hilariously slow burst yeah. but i like it i turn it way down like i originally oh. it was like oh. uh i think it can do okay. nine a second and it'll go clack, 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 clack and then i would go into iphoto or photos app and then it'd be like these are just seven photos of the same baby and like one of them is blinking and so I was never, <laughs> I was never, like, I was just spending all this time agonizing over which shot. It was too much. And so I changed it to like five a second or three second or something. So, and that was to me a nicer balance. Like I wasn't often wanting shots in between those. And uh-huh. then it didn't take like a long time to write to the SD card too. Does that mean it's, it's everyone's favorite time? Do you know what everyone's favorite time is, Alan? I think what everybody really tunes in for is the follow-up. Yeah. Yeah, it's when we make minor corrections to things in a previous episode you may or may not have heard. Who doesn't love pedantically correct, you know, micro-corrections for things we've Micro-correction corner. Actually, often we do get corrections, but this time we got a lot of people just telling us, my middle initial is J2. Well, yeah, someone did tell us that they're, they have two middle initials that are J, mm-hmm. and I think that they win. Yeah, I mean... Unless right. someone out there, unless one of you out there has three J's... Hello at funfact.fm. Let us know if you've got three J's as your middle initial and you are a fictional character on a Broadway show. (laughs) (laughs) But you could then pass our our current champion. I guess there's J. Jonah Jameson. There is J. Jonah Jameson. If you are J. Jonah Jameson. (laughs) J. Jonah Jameson only has one J middle name. Well, yeah, right. We we want three J's in the middle. Yeah. So that you'd have to have five total. It would have to be Stuart J. Jonah Jameson Mill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, Stuart, get in touch. <laughs> Send us an email, and then each week we'll just do we'll do one up until uh, until we get until, to the the maximum. Yeah, I mean it's it can, it's asymptotic, right? We'll never reach. No, I mean obviously there's an infinite source of yeah people with more and so, more days. <laughs> we also learned that the last name Parker is maybe more accurately a game warden. Yeah, actually that was good from from Chris uh, Parker. Chris Parker on Twitter wrote yeah. in to let us know. Apparently, you know, parks back then were were game preserves for rich people. Yeah. So it's probably a fancy thing to be a, a parker. Yeah. And then we also learned from friend of the show, Sarush Kanlu, that Xerxes is in fact a Persian name and not a Greek name as we 
No, I think I said it was a Persian name at the time. Oh, did, did you not? say that? Oh, okay. I thought I think I, I just, claimed it was Greek. I just said I think it's a Persian name. I don't know if they still use it. And then he said that it is a Persian name, but but that it's not pronounced Xerxes in 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 Farsi. That that's the Greek pronunciation. And in Farsi, it's pronounced. And I'm sorry, Sarush, I will butcher this. <laughs> Kashayar, Kashayar, Kash. Yeah, but that no one really uses it anymore. It's kind of archaic. Yeah, okay. So when I said I don't know if they're really still using Xerxes. In Iran, I was right that they're not. They but also, super but they aren't. Could, but they could. Yeah, they could, but they aren't even pronouncing it that way. Anymore. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then finally, I wanted to say that a few episodes ago, I offhandedly mentioned that that a, that a one of the inventors of the phlogiston theory was from Halle, which is a city in Germany. And I said that it was near where my wife grew up. But I got two pieces of feedback about that. One from my cousin Gurbe, that Halle is not close to Mönchengladbach. And then one piece from my wife reminded me that there's two Hallas in Germany and that he was from the one that's very, very far away from Mönchengladbach. So you were doubly, <laughs> you were I was doubly, doubly wrong. wrong, but I feel like the one that's, that's close to Mönchengladbach, the one that I was thinking of is close. It's only two and a half hours away. So two and a half, two and a half hour like drive. No, it's yeah. It's 220 kilometers. Yeah, it's close. Does that seem far? Or, it's it's like close. on the border of close, right? Yeah. But I will give him this because I researched what that would have, because the guy we were talking about was from the 1600s. So I researched how long that trip would have taken for him back then. And it was like four and a half days because horses can only go about 50 kilometers. So four and a half days, I will agree, not close. Yeah. And that time, not even. So does that make you three times wrong or did that minus one in your... Well, I'll have to ask uh, Daria and Gourbe whether or not I'm three times wrong or four times wrong or a hundred times wrong or... I feel, yeah, I feel, oh, let's go with, we'll assume three times and then we'll work from there. Yeah. That's bananas. 